0: The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkee Town Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkee Town, please visit our website at www.durkeeTown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Locate in your Bibles, John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. want to welcome those who are, for whatever reason, unable to be with us here, but are watching on our live Facebook feed, and especially want to uh, say to Mark Landon and your family, to your mom, Mary, that our prayers are with you at the passing of Mark's dad earlier this week, that God's grace would be upon them, and the hope of the resurrection that we now will read in verses 20 to 27 would be a comfort to them. Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house, and then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this? And she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. The word of the Lord. Now, Father, I pray that your Spirit would give us attentive hearts, That through your spirit, our very hearts would be circumcised to cut away the flesh and the sin that would bring disbelief. We ask for your help, O Lord. We ask this in the name and powerful name of the risen Christ, amen. The first slide is going to be the second title to the sermon, so the sermon that's in the the title and the bullet that I thought was rather boring, A Certain Man, A Certain Faith, A Certain Future, but that actually isn't the title of the sermon because this morning I decided a better title, which we'll get to a little bit later. The second slide is a quote by Vance Havner, a preacher of old who was very quotable. And we're going to leave this up the entire service. It's going to be a thread that works its way through the sermon. Don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. One of the ways I am finding help as I read the Bible is to connect The passage I'm reading to the larger story being told. Our lesson from John 11 uh, this morning uh, will help us see what I believe to be an incredibly important connecting point. Uh, The theologian Bible teacher N.T. Wright observes that as John writes his gospel, his thinking is informed by the Genesis Genesis account, and namely, the first chapter of Genesis. If we were to go back and read chapter 1, we would read that John identifies Jesus as the Logos, the living word who came to earth, but also identifies him as being with God in creation. And then... John says something about Jesus that is a real game changer. A real game changer. He writes in verse 4 of chapter 1 that in him, in this Logos, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. That's one of those King James phrases that needs a little explanation, it means that the darkness could not overtake the light, because light always wins over darkness. And the two forces, then, of light and life are specifically mentioned by John in chapter 1, and then are used liberally throughout his entire gospel. But here in chapter number 11, those words take on a special significance. In the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead, in chapter 11, and then in the final section, moving into the passion of Christ, and then his resurrection, and the proof of his resurrection. But what does Jesus mean when he says that he is the resurrection and the life? What does he mean? It means that Jesus believes that in that present moment, as he stands before the grieving Martha, Jesus believes that in that present moment, and then for all eternity, so our moments, and in exclusion of anyone else and anything else, that he possesses everything necessary for resurrection and for life. That's what it means. For Martha, it meant Jesus was giving her hope. For us, it means that Jesus is giving us hope. And for all eternity, in exclusion of anyone and everyone else, Jesus alone possesses everything necessary for resurrection and for life. John 11 teaches that through the authority of Jesus, darkness that sin and death have brought into the world will be overcome. This is what Jesus means at the beginning of the story of John 11 when he says to his disciples in verse 4, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. That is an audacious claim to make. And by the way, we, the church, have the privilege to announce that audacious claim. We have the privilege to announce this good news so that people can be brought out of the darkness of sin and death and into the light. of a full restoration of life and light. But in addition to the big picture truths of this story, we also have a lesson of faith and honesty and love between friends. John tells us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There's an intimacy in that relationship that we don't find in any other relationship that Jesus has in all of the Gospels, that he loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And so we have a a story, a lesson of faith. We have a a lesson of honesty, (coughs) excuse me, and we have a lesson of love between friends and if you read the narrative closely, what you'll find is that Mary and Martha did not doubt in darkness what they knew to be true in light. They did not doubt in the darkness of their grief and pain what they had experienced in the light and life with Jesus. And I pray that that is true of us as well, that we will not doubt in the dark what we have experienced with the risen Christ in the light. And as we know from this story, after hearing the news that this friend that Jesus loved, this friend Lazarus was sick, that Jesus then delays going to see him. There are are a lot of sermons right there, but that's not the sermon I felt I should preach today. Subsequently, Lazarus dies. And then uh, Jesus heads off to Bethany. Surprising, right? Surprising. But before he arrives, we're told that he's met by Martha. He doesn't get into Bethany before Martha Goes out to meet him. Unusual, Martha would have left her grieving sister, all of the other family and friends that were gathering in this emotionally charged place, her home. She hears Jesus is coming. Out she goes to meet him. When we consider the meaning of her name, we might not be so surprised that Jesus is met by Martha outside of the city. In Hebrew, a Jewish name derives its root from uh, the Hebrew word mar, which means bitter. Your thoughts might immediately go to Naomi, who after she returns from Moab, after her husband and her sons die, she comes back to her village and she says, my name is no longer Naomi, my name is Mara, because the Lord has dealt bitterly. With me. Martha experiencing the bitterness of death. But in Aramaic, the trade language, the common language of the people, the language that Jesus himself would have spoken, her name means mistress of the house. It's the uh, feminine version of master of the house. And the name is now hers to own because with the death of her brother, she is indeed now the master of the house, the one who has tasted the bitterness of death. I'm not saying that a bitter, bossy woman is going to meet Jesus. That would be an unfair way to characterize Martha, who is this much-loved friend of Jesus. Instead, I'm saying that Martha is being honest with herself. She is owning up to her name. And of course, Jesus knows this about Martha. Luke tells us of a time when Jesus was dining in their house. Martha's busy making a meal. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha comes into the room and says, Jesus, would you tell Mary to get in the kitchen? Something like that. So Martha knows who she is. And Jesus knows who she is. And Martha knows who he is. And in this honest, loving friendship, truth is going to be spoken but where's mary well mary's back in the house and the narrative tells us that after martha talks with jesus she goes back and tells mary that jesus wants to talk with her and mary then goes out and meets jesus and what does she do we're told that she falls at his feet and pours out her heart of grief over her brother Once again, not surprising. Mary might should have been in the kitchen, but she was kneeling at the feet of Jesus, listening and worshiping, and here she comes out, and the first thing she does is fall at the feet of Jesus. And her response of grief and that of the Jews around her create a different kind of response by Jesus to Mary different than the one that he had to Martha we're told that he weeps with Mary and we love that line we love the line Jesus wept but I'm here to tell you this morning that if a sickness is not going to result In death to corruption, we need someone who does more than weep. There were a lot of people weeping that day. But we needed somebody who would do more than weep. We need somebody who would groan. And we're told in verse number 38 that Jesus groans as he comes to the grave. The groaning of Jesus as he comes near the grave is best understood to be a war cry. It's likened unto the snorting of a horse that has been prepared for battle. It is an internal groaning that comes out in ways that are in words undistinguishable, but it is a cry to war. And you know, we need to remember, this is not the first time Jesus has raised someone from the dead. But it is the first time we are told that when he does it, he gives a cry of war. And I think that's vital to note because the raising of Lazarus from the dead happens just before Jesus goes to his own death and he himself is raised from the dead. You see, up to this point in the ministry, Jesus has battled sin. He has battled Satan on many fronts. But as the time draws near for Jesus to complete the undoing of death, or in the words of Isaiah the prophet, when he swallows up death in victory, there is a cry to war as Jesus comes to the grave. But in the depth of the crisis, Martha can't understand this. She can't perceive this. She can't grasp what is going on. This is why she objects when Jesus instructs the people to move the stone away. What, is, what does Martha say? Don't move the stone away. He's been dead four days, it's going to stink. Verse 39. And Jesus helps Martha overcome her objections first. And you read it there in verse 40 by reminding her of what he had previously said. Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. That audacious claim that Jesus makes. But then Jesus does something else to help her and for the benefit of the people he prays, he prays what we might call an honest prayer. I mean, in church my whole life, I've heard a lot of dishonest praying, pretentious, more concerned about the words spoken than about the God to whom they're being spoken, and I'm sure More than too many occasions I'm embarrassed to say I've nudged my way to the front of the line of people who have prayed dishonest, pretentious prayers. Jesus will have none of that. You see, we don't always get honest praying in the church. But here is an honest prayer. In the midst of crisis, there's an absence of pretense. As they take the stone away from the place where the dead was laid, Jesus lifts up his eyes. Verse 41, he says, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people Which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Lord, I know you always hear me, but I'm praying this so that the people who are gathered around would hear me pray it and that they might believe that you are the one who has sent me. Well, the first thing we should note after the prayer and the stone has moved away, we should note what doesn't happen. And this is the, the third sermon title, it's the one I probably should use, and that is, it doesn't stink. What was Martha's concern? Lord, he's been dead four days, you open that grave and it's going to walk. Stink. We've got the grandkids with us for a few days. And no surprise that we know the need to change a diaper in advance of the diaper reaching us. (laughs) Now it doesn't mean that Lazarus hadn't died. It means that the words of Jesus were true. That the sickness of Lazarus would not result in death, that is, death unto corruption. There is no stink. So Jesus cries with a loud voice, Lazarus come forth and out comes Lazarus, the man who had been dead for four days, and notice then what Jesus says next, loose him and let him go. The crisis is over because of the life giving words of Jesus. The dark chaos overcome by the presence of the light of the world. And all of this, of course, is wonderful. But for many who ask for a miracle, you ever asked for a miracle? And you didn't get a miracle? This story has a way of coming short. Of hope. I've asked for miracles. No miracle came. I'm still asking for miracles, hoping for miracles to come. Have you known people like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? They get the miracles. Who was it? Hudson Taylor prayed when the cupboards were empty, right? Wasn't it Hudson Taylor? when the cupboards were empty and suddenly the next day to feed all the kids in his orphanage, cupboards are full. George Mueller. Thank you, Stan. I knew it wasn't Hudson Taylor the moment I said it. And I looked over because I depend on the Nye girls to be the uh, source of all knowledge. They were with rapt attention and at my sermon. Thank you, Stan. George Mueller. You ever know people like that? They get the miracle. After all, Jesus loves them. that's what John said. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Of course they're going to get the miracle. Jesus loved them. When our miracles don't show up, we assume that maybe we're not as good of friends with Jesus as we thought we were. Maybe he really doesn't love us. Have you ever thought that in the fog of war? In the dark times when there seems to be no light and perhaps no life? Are these not the things that keep us bound in our grave clothes? You know, there are a lot of people who are not in church today because they thought God would give them the miracle, but the sickness actually resulted in death. Like Mary, they sat at the feet of Jesus when they came to worship. Like Martha, they served faithfully in the church and now they're nowhere to be found. Do you know anyone like that? I certainly do. You know people who asked for the church to pray for their marriage and their marriage died. People who haven't spoken to a sibling for decades even though they thought God would heal the relationship. People who had to declare bankruptcy even though they prayed and asked Jesus to deliver them from their financial sickness, but their financial sickness resulted in death, the pain of bearing loss, seeing people drift into spiritual death, the seemingly unrelenting spiritual darkness of our region, although revivals are springing up apparently all over America. Why don't we get the miracle here? What should we say to those who don't seem to get the miracle? How do we then not doubt in the dark what God has shown us in the light? Well, we need to move back up into the conversation that Jesus had with Martha. Martha. Have you ever uh, left an old reality and moved quickly into a new one? Maybe when you fell in love, life was never the same. Or maybe a well-prepared meal that you ate and you said, I've never eaten like that before. Food so well-prepared. Maybe you saw something so beautiful or heard something so beautiful it swept you away. And here's what's happening in John 11. Jesus is moving Martha and the entire world into a new reality, a reality of light and life. But but Martha didn't realize it, and she didn't understand what was about to happen to Lazarus is indeed going to be the story for all who believe in Jesus, for all who believe Jesus to be exactly the one that he claimed to be. The resurrection and the life. And this new reality then means that our sin sickness, that our spiritual death will not result in corruption when we believe in Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. And So what should we say to people weeping in the darkness and the chaos? We'll move back to chapter, or to, to, again to the to verse 21 there in chapter 11. What does Martha say unto Jesus? She's not asking a question, she is making a statement. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died, but I know that even now, whatever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And then Jesus responds, with a statement of truth as well, thy brothers shall rise again. And then Martha remembers her synagogue Sunday school lesson. Yeah, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And then Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. We say to people, grieving, feeling unloved, unwanted, uncared for, in the midst of their loss, questions unanswered, this is what we say to them, that he is the resurrection and the life. Martha's changing confidence is expressed then by her confession when Jesus says, do you believe this? She says, Yea, Lord, I believe that Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. This is not cheap grace. This is not some tacit acknowledgement of God, whoever he or she might be. This is a statement that demonstrates the beginning of a powerful and transformative encounter with Jesus. It is a coming out of the darkness and into the light. It is, as Jesus says back up in verse 9, If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. And Jesus is saying, If you see me, you will not stumble, because I am the light of the world. And to believe in Jesus means that you believe that he is both light and life. And if you believe that by God's grace, (coughs) excuse me, you too will be a certain man or a certain woman with a certain faith who possesses a certain future. And in the great day of resurrection, when your soul and body are reunited, you will not stink. You will not stink. You know, we have one last mention of Martha in John's gospel, and it's a fitting picture of how her faith, like her life, continued in service to Jesus. In the next chapter, Jesus is back in the house with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And what's Martha doing? She made a meal. The mistress of the house, serving her risen brother and her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you believe? Do you believe? That's what Jesus asked Martha during her grief. Do you believe? He had told the disciples that he wanted them to believe. He called the people to believe when he praised the Father. And so in the power of the name of Jesus, I ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who came into the world? Do you believe? Have you been brought into a new reality, the reality of Jesus who possesses all that is necessary for light and life? If so... Then pray that Jesus, the one who is your friend, and the one who loves you, will help you to not doubt in the dark what he has shown you in the light. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word to us this morning. Now, Father, as we inwardly begin to digest it may your spirit be at work to overcome to point us to the light and life we have in Jesus oh prepare us well now for the table of nourishment and strength for darkness is all around us and we need to be confident about life and light. We'll give you a few moments to prepare your heart for the table. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkee Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durky Town, please visit our website at www.durkytown.org.